What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to giftedperformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by, and without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. of the GPP, the Gift of Performance podcast, where we give you the information and practical advice that you need to improve your own general physical preparedness. I've brought zero outside guests from outside of Gift of Performance, and I could not be happier today. Two coaches, two co-hosts, two very good-looking friends of mine, Mr. Kuza on my right, Lord knows where he'll end up. Dom, how are you? Good. How are you guys? Fantastic. I've never been better. Jess, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking. So Dom is someone that you've seen on the podcast before. He's been on. Pretty damn popular episode, Dom, might I say. Quite the viewership over there. Jess, big shoes to fill here, so so don't let me down. All right, I'll try not to. Jess is new to the Gifted Performance family. She is our newest coach. She is focuses more on the lifestyle side of things, but does have a competitive history. She has competed in bodybuilding before. She's quite strong, as the kids say. She can definitely hoist some heavy weights. And she's pretty versatile in her fitness background as well. Jess, I want to give you the chance, open up the podcast, and let you introduce yourself. Jessica Lee Golding is the whole name. Three names. So you know she's classy as shit. So give us that intro. Of course. Um, what's funny is that I actually don't really go by Jessica Lee Golding, even though I probably should because it is pretty classy. But I usually just go by Jessica Lee. Um, yeah, so I competed in 2016. Um, after I competed, I got my certification for personal training through uh, NASM and then uh, followed that with... Um, a certification for corrective exercise. And then after that certification, I went through precision nutrition to get certified for nutrition coaching. Um, and now I'm in school to become a registered dietitian. And um, yeah, that's kind of my, that's my focus right now. That's what I'm working for. So, um, you know, it's kind of a lame intro, but there it is. Dom, it's not a, it's not a competition to see who has the most letters after their name. But if it was, I'm I'm sorry to say, I think I think Jess would be beating us. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> so, Jess, give us kind of a rundown on your competitive, your fitness history. Maybe coaches that you've worked with in the past, areas of fitness that you think resonate most with you. What would you say is kind of your your niche inside of this very large fitness industry that we navigate on a daily basis? Um, okay, well, so it started off like very, um, 
how do I want to explain it? Like when I got into bodybuilding and stuff, I was really interested and intrigued with that aspect of like training in that environment, which is why I competed. Um, I worked with Scott McNally for a while. Um, he was my coach. He was a great coach. I learned a lot from him. And, um, you know, it was after I competed that I kind of like took a step back. Cause I noticed this like shift in my mental health, like, Prepping for a show is one thing um, because like you're progressively looking better, like as time goes on, because you're about to step on stage. So like you look great, but then it's what messes with you is when you get off of stage and then you start reverse dieting and you go into, you know, if you go into another show, that's one thing. But like for me, I wasn't going to go into another show right away. So it was the reverse dieting that kind of started messing with me. And that was like one of my biggest challenges was realizing that you know you're not always going to look like you're stage ready and that's not sustainable but I don't know if it's maybe just being a female and like where the industry is and what we see on social media um but you just kind of like I just developed this really poor like body image and I was extremely hard on myself excuse the cat okay <laughs> um and so I'm losing my, my train of thought here. Um, that was like the biggest shift for me. So when I started training people and like actually got into coaching, I worked with a lot of women. And my biggest focus was because I had gone through it, like learning to appreciate your body for what it is and just trying to become the healthiest version of yourself. And it's not always about, you know, getting as lean as you can or getting as shredded as you can. Um, and more so focusing on the relationship you have with yourself and the relationship that you have towards your body. And that also stems into the relationship that you develop with food. Um, cause I feel like that plays a big role into it. And so now when it comes to coaching and when I'm working with my clients, I focus a lot on the mental health aspect of it. Like I, you know, I help with nutrition and all that kind of stuff, but at the end of the day, I've noticed when it comes down to it, like I'm finding myself having more discussions with clients about mental health and how they look at themselves and how they look at food versus, you know, other things. Does that make sense? Definitely. I think there's that big sociocultural stigma, dogma, whatever you want to call it, just around women and fitness. And it's, you know, the, the, the fitness focused woman is dainty, small in size, cardio focused. Yep not that performance mindset of, hey, let's get stronger. Let's see the scale go up from week to week, not down or stay the same. And coming out of a contest is like, what a mind fuck that is where there's no option but for that scale to go up. And if you've yeah. been conditioned to say, my only success is that scale stays the same or goes down and it's going up and not just going up, but going up rapidly, that can be seen like like you were mentioning as a very big failure for a woman post show and i know i know that there are some guys who go through it as well but i definitely think that it's to the degree that women do and a lot of that is you know so, social and cultural and whatnot but just the society that we live in but i i, I think it's somewhat shifting and dom i'd like to get your opinion on this um do you think or have you seen somewhat of a shift in the culture around women in fitness where all of a sudden women with larger amounts of muscle mass um higher body fats maybe compared to like a competitor and women who can lift more weight do you think that's like cooler now is that a cool thing now yeah i think so 
um, especially from like competitive wise. Um, I, I'm seeing a huge shift in clients that reach out to me that are figure, wellness, physique. Like, I feel like uh, a lot more girls want to put on muscle now. They want to train hard. They want to, you know, use heavier weight. They're not scared to put on the extra muscle and the extra weight now. Um, I don't know necessarily what it is, but maybe just over time, they just, um, you know, maybe it's making more sense to more women that it's like okay to train heavy. You're not going to explode and get bulky and whatnot. But like, uh, no, I definitely see that a lot, especially some of like the bikini athletes I've worked with. They all want to like take a year or two off now and try to grow into figure. So they're trying to take in more ser- like serious training. They're they're cool with gaining 10 pounds, 15 pounds, whatever it takes to get to that. Um, I just feel like muscle is cool now for women. I can see that a lot on social media. Most definitely. Jess? Are you ready for some rapid-fire questions? We're going to end the intro with some rapid-fire questions. Okay, bring it on. Let's have it. Favorite cereal. Mm, okay. Do you remember? Do you remember? Oh. <laughs> was it? Oh, I'm going to draw a blank. Hold on. Cookie crisps? Is that how it was? It was like the cookie chocolate crisp? chip cookies mm-hmm. that were like, you just had them as cereal. That was like my jam growing up. And uh, yeah, probably. Are you are you team team so- team soggy cereal or crunchy? Crunchy for sure. Can't do soggy. Dom. Crunchy. Oh, you you heathen! You gotta let it get a little soggy. It's gonna cut through for your mouth. All right. <laughs> Favorite soup. Oh. Oh gosh. Does chili count? Chili counts as a soup, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, uh, I count that. No, no, I don't know if I'd count that. I don't think so. I think chili is more of a stew than it is a soup. Soup. Okay. Well, hmm. um, gosh, I don't know. Uh, let's go with Italian oh, wedding soup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, what's your favorite soup? Answer for me. French onion. Ooh, oh, that's a good that's one. A good one. Yeah. That's a really okay. good one. Solid if I'm going, if I'm going plain Jane, I'm just going tomato though, like a nice bowl, a nice warm tomato soup, and some good stuff. Now, a serious question, very yeah. hotly contested question here: Is cereal technically a soup? If you warm it up, which I know some people warm their cereal up, Not cereal. So, I would say yes. Confirmed, cereal is a soup. Now, what is your favorite diet soda? Favorite soda slash diet soda? I would probably say like Plain Jane, Diet Coke, or Diet Dr. Pepper. Nothing too. Dumb. Diet Pepsi. Mm, wow. Wow, Dom. You're really you're striking out here. Swinging for the fences, but whiffing repeatedly. The only answer, guys. And remember, we're bringing the audience back. Back to real life. Diet Mountain Dew. The only answer. We just... As of recording this, we are a few days post-Halloween. Lord knows when this will actually go out. But favorite candy? Um, I would say sweetest, uh, Swedish Fish. Um, yeah, that's like my top. And again, we're coming up on the holiday season. Favorite holiday? Ooh. Mm-hmm. 
See, I don't know. It's hard because my birthday is right next to Christmas. So I can't say that, like, I would say Thanksgiving. Turkey yeah, Day. Dom? Christmas. <laughs> what, when's your birthday, Jess? The 21st of December. Oh, we're close. I'm the 9th. All right. Now, beach or snowboarding vacation? I feel like both of you guys are going to say beach because of where you live. Yeah, well, I also, like, I suck at winter sports, so I would have to go with the beach. Beach? Yeah. Dom? Beach. All right, we're, I'm going snowboarding. Most IHOP pancakes you think you could eat in one sitting? A solid six. Six? Dom? Six. Dom's going to blow it out right here. Yeah, easy, like, 15 plus. <laughs> <laughs> So again, as of this recording, Dom is Dom is deep in a dieting phase. So the answer is that the limit does not exist. All right. No, I'm technically our... I'm not in a dieting phase, according to Cam. Oh, <laughs> fuck that guy, right? Am I right? <laughs> All right, we've we've made it through the icebreaker, the banter. Shall we answer some serious questions? Yep. Let's do it. All right. Let's roll. So the topic of today's discussion, the topic of the podcast, if you didn't read the title, read the title. It's right up there. Um, the title of this podcast, the topic is going to be stress management as well as coaching lifestyle clients. So individuals with more lifestyle related health and wellness throughout their entire life goals, as opposed to the competitive side of things. On the podcast, we often talk about competitive athletes a lot, whether that's powerlifting, weightlifting, field sports, bodybuilders. We don't show a lot of love to the lifestyle people. So here is your episode, folks. Here we go. First question, throwing it to Jess to start us off. So in your opinion, uh, what would you say are the biggest delineating factors? So what separates a lifestyle client and a competitor? Um, I think that the biggest thing that um, separates it is obviously like the desired outcome of their journey. Um, you know, as a competitor, you're looking to step on stage. And if some people want to take it all the way to like a pro card, like that's a whole journey in itself. Um, and then lifestyle clients, um, I would say that, you know, that's more just like getting healthier, like becoming the healthiest version of yourself. But I will say that, um, something that's really interesting to me is I've noticed the, the two combined are slowly like they're slowly starting to mesh together where I get lifestyle clients that are like, Hey, you know, I follow, you know, this girl on Instagram or my sister competed or, you know, so-and-so that I know competed, whatever the case may be. And they start to want to look like a competitor. And you, so you kind of see like this intertwined between the two. Um, so that, that's been really interesting for me. Let me, let me tangent off that, that last piece yeah. that you talked about there. When clients come to you, and I won't say it's men or women, because I think I would I see like an even distribution. They say, hey, I want to look like this girl or I want to work like this yeah. guy. H how do you teach them to navigate that line between like aspiring to be someone else, which is an, an impossible goal to ever achieve versus being inspired by someone else's physique? So how do you walk that line between inspiration and aspiration? Um. So, truthfully, it takes me a minute to be able to really get them to um, have that perspective shift. I really have to get to know the client a little bit and understand their motives and why they're choosing that goal and why they want to look like that other person. 
I think that in general, like as humans, we naturally have this like, you know, gravitation towards like comparing ourselves towards other people that we see on social media because a lot of our like the things that we do, like social media is just such like a big aspect of life now. Like that's just how it is. And so when, you know, you're very active with social media, it's easy for it to consume you in a way where you just start this body comparison train and it's very hard to like hop off that. Um, so I would say like the biggest thing when I'm working with clients, if I notice that they're more so setting goals because of like what they think other people's expectations are versus what their own expectations for themselves are. Um, I usually try to see where it stems from. A lot of times it comes from social media um, or like pressure from like social groups, like just their environment that they're in day to day. Um, So my biggest thing is just having those reminders of like, you know, listen, like this is your own journey. This is for yourself. There's no, possible way that you can be like so-and-so or look exactly like the person that you're trying to you know like that body that you're trying to achieve um because it's not yours and I think a lot of clients start to learn that when you go into that journey of like your own um like fitness that you start to see how your body responds to like what you're doing and you know obviously hormones and all that kind of stuff come into play and your body just will allow I don't know how to explain it. Like your body just allows it to, your body's going to tell you what you can and cannot look like, if that makes sense. Like what's achievable with genetics and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. It's kind of more so just like that mental reminder and support. If that makes sense. Definitely. No, I think, I think you make a good point that what people are exposed to on social media is kind of the extremes of the fitness industry. They see the individuals who are two, three standard deviations out from the mean, the genetic elite of the genetic elite. They're just seeing that top 1%. So comparing themselves to that is, is an impossible journey to set themselves up on. And you might just have to reframe it and say, listen, we can shoot for that. We're going to get as close as we possibly can. We're going to run for it as possibly can, as far as we possibly can. If we get close, awesome. We might exceed it even better. But at the end of the day, what's going to be a really good scenario for you is that when we look back to where you are today and where you're going to be in a year, you're going to be markedly improved whether you get to that dream physique or not. Um, but, but Dom, I wanted to kind of, because we have a lot of coaches that watch the or listen to slash watch the podcast. I want to kind of to get your um, process when it comes to onboarding a client or a, a competitor. So like someone who wants to get on stage versus onboarding a lifestyle client. What is the what is the needs analysis look for these two kind of very distinct um, individuals? So um, I feel like, a, like you were just talking about like the separation of them. Competitors, you know, most of the time have a date. Like you have X amount of weeks to get to here. Um, you know, when, when a lifestyle client comes to me and they generally give me their goals, um, I can kind of tell what's realistic, what's not, and the time frame that they signed up for and whatnot. But um, I'll set goals for them and be like, you know, this is what I'm shooting for for you. And I feel like it for them, me investing time and setting a goal with them uh really helps them and they they feel really appreciative of that like 
okay, like he's in, he's involving himself in my own program now because I'm setting the goals for them. I'm saying, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? These are two goals I'd like us to accomplish, even if they're small. I mean, you know, all of our certs and stuff, the first thing they talk about are smart goals, you know, the small achievable goals that lead into reaching that bigger goal. So for the lifestyle clients, I always like to do that, um, you know, set a goal with them. And then uh, it gives us something to work for versus like a competitor. You know, we know we have 12 weeks until the show. We know we have, you know, X amount of time until then. With the lifestyle competitors, I tell them it's, it's not, it's not a rush. It's, we're trying to slowly change your lifestyle. We're not trying to just get from A to B as fast as possible. We're trying to get from A to B to stay there and not have to come back and do anything. Like I try to help them, you know, make smarter choices when it comes to food. But then I also try to build a really strong relationship for them with food. Um, you know, for example, like holidays and stuff, I tell them, don't even email me if you can eat, just eat. I don't really, it's not going to be the end all for you. One day of eating isn't going to do anything drastic unless, you know, unless obviously there's outliers where you completely binge out. But, um, you know, like those days I tell them, don't even bring a Tupperware, just eat whatever you want. The next day, get back on your plant. And I feel like as a person develops that ability to do that, they really have a good relationship food the fact that they can they can fall off the plan they're on and rebound the next day perfectly i that that to me just says that eating that food off plan didn't derail them mentally to stay towards their goal they were able to just come right back into it so that's one thing i always whenever somebody falls off plan or deviates or cheats lifestyle wise I always try to explain to them, like, it's okay. We just have to get back on plan. And the more that happens, the less they end up cheating. And then when they do, they don't feel as bad about it. And they're right back where they needed to be the next day. Jess, step in for Dom here and explain kind of what he meant by smart goals. So for people who aren't familiar with kind of psychology literature, specifically like exercise adherence literature and stuff. What does he mean when he says like set smart goals? Um, well, first that was a really great explanation of like how Dom said, like when, cause I do the same thing with clients. Like if you're going to fall off the, whatever the plan is, when you, to be able to like get back onto the plan the next day, and not sit there and beat yourself up for it for like weeks on end. That's a huge step in the right direction when it comes to the relationship with food. Um, setting smart goals. When I hear that, I think of just like setting things that are realistic and setting something that is creating that sustainable outcome, right? So like if you're going to set a smart goal, it's going to be something that is sustainable. I don't know. Like that's what comes to mind. Um, not something where you're super restrictive and it's like, you know, going to drive you on a downward spiral long term. It's more so setting goals that you're kind of working at in chunks to get to like the ultimate long term goal. And it's something that you can stay at kind of like how Dom said, um, 
that to me is like a smart goal. Do you want like specifics of what like a smart goal is in my opinion? Or like, does that kind of answer that question? Like smart, smart is, it's an acronym. It's yeah, specific, acronym. specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. So it's just, you make it a small goal, it's specific, it's achievable, and you do it in a timely manner, but it's reasonable at the same time. So it's something like, this month I want to lose a pound versus this month I want to lose 10 pounds. One is way more reasonable than the other. And then the time frame of both is well achievable for one pound to happen in a month versus 10 pounds to happen in a month. So it's it's setting these really small goals, even if they're weekly things. Some clients, I'll tell them, look, this week, the only thing I want to focus on is hitting your steps. And all they have to do is hit their steps that week. Just hitting that one goal that week, that bleeds into the second week, bleeds into the third week. And they just slowly start reminding themselves of that. Um, that's why I really... With, with a lot of, you know, lifestyle, general population clients, I love using SMART goals because they're really, they, they just have such a big effect on that population of clientele. And I think when you kind of, when you bring people in from the traditional, what people now call quote unquote diet culture, I call it like the yo-yoing lifestyle. There's a lot of individuals, and this is something that I stump my students on all the time. I always ask them, does does America, does the United States of America have a weight loss problem? And they all say, yeah, we're all fat. It's like, no, we don't have a weight loss problem. We have a weight maintenance problem because people yo-yo so much. I think that Oprah Winfrey is such a good example of this. When she started her career as um, um, in, in news and media, it's like 120, gets up to 150, comes down to 130, goes up to 170, back down to 150, up to 200. And what you see in this yo-yo back and forth is that the low number is always higher than it previously was, and then the new high remains higher. So like Dom said, it's not a, ma it's not a matter of, hey, let's take you from A to B. It's let's take you from A to B, and then let's teach you how to make B your forever. No more going back to a no more reverting, no more yo-yoing back. And these individuals, these lifestyle folks that you guys work with, they've they've ridden this yo-yo train for a while. They've got both a crisis of competence where they don't think that they can do it. And they've got a crisis of confidence where they don't even think that they have the skills to get it done, which is where you guys step in and you kind of teach them the skills. So, Jess, when you're trying to get someone to lose weight, keep that weight off restore kind of their relationship with food, their relationship with, with their body. Um, what are kind of some of those small, very small short-term goals that you give people to, that they can kind of add up over time to build up their competence and their confidence? Um, well, I think it's very individual depending on the person depends on the state that they're in you know, like mentally when they come to me, like when we start working on a plan sometimes with food, like when it comes to like food and stuff, um, some lifestyle clients, like I could put them on a plan where they can measure out food and they become more conscious of like the amounts that they're eating. Some clients, um, we don't even touch a scale with measuring food. Um, it's more so, you know, eyeballing it or, figuring out like taking a step back and thinking about 
why they're choosing to eat that food and how that food's going to affect them and make them feel. Um, same thing when it comes to like checking in and like actually weighing themselves. Some clients they have uh, that step on the scale, if they're comfortable with it, some clients, that's something we work toward. Um, other things uh, I know like Don mentioned is like some weeks, like we focus on like your step intake and your activity and how did your, you know, your overall performance go like in the gym? How active were you? How did you feel about that? Um, and it just all depends. Like sometimes I'll implement with clients like journaling, which sounds kind of weird. And I don't necessarily mean like a food journal. I mean like an actual journal where I'll have clients take, you know, a few minutes a day to just sit with themselves and really think about how they're feeling and their reasons behind like how they feel towards themselves and like this journey and just kind of let their thoughts like spill out on paper and just kind of sit with that for, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Um, so it's different per client and it's different depending on where they're at. Um, but those are kind of a few things that I, I go off of. I promise I was paying attention. My dog is standing on my kitchen hey, table right now. Currently, I get it. I have a oh, cat that oh, runs down. around like an idiot. Boo, do you think you're a cat? You're not. You're a dog. Get down. Good boy. Um, no, I think that what you were talking about with journaling is a really good transition, a really good segue, because there's a vast amount of cornucopia, a plethora of research on the use of journaling for stress management. It's a place, yeah. like you said, for you to dump your thoughts, dump the things that you have to do tomorrow, dump all of your worries on a piece of paper. That way, you know, when it comes time to relax with your family, go to sleep at night, you've got all that stuff out. It's no longer on your mind. That's something that I do. Um, every single day I have to-do lists that I write out, yeah. finish up work that day. I write my to-do list for the next day. Cool. I'm done. So when it does come to stress, because lifestyle clients, in my opinion, are some of the ones that I see struggle with stress and stress management the most. Dom, from the folks that you have worked with, just kind of collating all the data from everyone that you've seen, what would you say is the largest source of stress for the lifestyle clients that you work with? On a day-to-day -day basis, they say, Dom, I'm stressed because of... Um, there's two that I'd say are pretty even on I, the other one is lack of sleep. And then the other is, um, uh, constantly comparing themselves to, uh, John Doe who's losing faster than they are. Um, the sleep is probably the one I see the most just, I feel like we have a sleep issue in America. Like we just don't get enough sleep. People don't prioritize sleep. They don't take it seriously enough. Um, so with sleep, uh, it's, I guess that is a kind of more difficult barrier to combat because, you know, sometimes some people's jobs just don't allow them to sleep, you know, enough hours a night. Um, but, you know, I've used things in the past where like people like who had trouble falling asleep, you know, using things like uh, L-theanine or 5-HTP um maybe a little valerian root just like uh you know some pep like protein peptides and amino acids and then some herbs that could help uh you know relax their nervous system before they go to bed um i found some of them benefit from it and then some of them just have uh 
you know, just trouble sleeping throughout the, uh, throughout the night. So, but sleep is probably the number one barrier I see as an issue when it comes to somebody's stress, because then throughout the day, they end up just dragging their feet and they're even more tired and they're less productive. And that just accumulates more stress throughout the day. They're not getting their work done fast enough. They're not, they don't have enough energy to go to the gym. So things like that I see, uh, but it all stems back to them not sleeping enough. Yeah, I think lack of sleep, like raw number of hours is a big one. But I would also say on top of that, that lack of quality sleep is another is yeah. is, a, is a big part of that as well. Because you've got people that'll say, oh, you know, I sleep for eight, nine hours a night, meaning that they're in bed for eight, nine hours a night. But they're forgetting that they worked out at 6 p.m. that day and they had two scoops of the new pre-workout fuck your brain and nervous system version 2.0 with 900 milligrams of caffeine in it. And they're going to bed that night with 450 milligrams. So I think you bring up some good points with the herbals, the amino acids, some of those, um, those nootropic substances, timing of caffeine. There's some research around blue light blocking. There's a lot of really good research about increasing quality um my recommended always go to research or go to outlet for that would be examine.com examine.com has a, a lot of really good articles about improving sleep quality now jess i'm going to throw the same question to you largest source of stress for your lifestyle client that dom didn't just say so it can't be sleep or what was the other one uh external comparisons okay well comparison was going to be like my go-to because that's what i see all the time well, Dom stole it. Damn it, Dom. Okay. Bastard. So, I think that just every there's everyday stressors, right? It doesn't. Okay, if it's not you know lack of sleep, if it's not body comparison, it's you know the day to day people you encounter can stress you out. The environment that you're in every day can stress you out. If you don't like your job, that can stress you out. Um, you know, it's, I just feel like there's so much to it. Um, and I'm really mad that Dom stole those, those are big ones. Those are huge. Are you, are you, um, but, are you stressed out because of that? Yeah. Like, this is causing me stress. <laughs> what the hell? Um, yeah, I just, I feel like people, everyone has like their own thing, their own issues that they deal with in a day to day. And I think environmental stress is like probably a big one. If I, if I can't use the other two of lack of sleep or, you know, body comparison, I would say it's environmental stress of who you're surrounding yourself with and just relationships in general and coming into contact with people. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm so mad that Dom took that one because that I'm just going to go off of what I was going to say. Um, something that I do notice with clients when it comes to the whole body comparison thing and just being stressed is that you then have this cascade of like, you're so stressed because you're focusing on how you're looking and how your progress is going. And then that's causing you to stress even more, which causes you to, you know, I've seen symptoms of that for myself too. I've seen it where I start to retain water. I start to have an even more po uh, poor body image. I start to get fatigued. I start to have cravings and that just throws this whole thing for a loop. So it's this constant cycle that all stems from being stressed about something that probably doesn't matter or that you can just like manage it in a way to where it doesn't affect you in those ways. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of it comes down or comes back to it's the stress. And like you said, there's inherent parts of stress in your life. There's environmental stress that you cannot control. You hate your kids. Well, guess what? They're three years old, so you're going to hate them for the next 15 years until they leave. Oh, your uh, dog bit the neighbor? Well, you know, you got to deal with that no matter what. Someone hit your car? Got to deal with that no matter what. So trying to live in a world or trying to create an environment that's free of stress is impossible. We can throw that out. That's an impossible scenario to create. So I think that we have to come back to what are healthy and productive coping mechanisms for stress. And that's something that I struggle with with some of my lifestyle clients because coping mechanisms for them are, you know, food, skipping out on sleep, going out and getting drunk with, you know, friends, family, whatever it is. So Dom, do you, do you do any kind of like consulting, any kind of recommendations for your, your clients on what are some appropriate or some productive coping mechanisms? Um, you know, if so, when they, when, when a client checks in with me, they have to report their stress level. Um, and then it kind of gives me a better idea. Um, if it's high, I usually ask and see what, you know, if it is something I can help with, but if not, it's, sometimes it's more difficult, more personal things going on in their lives that, you know, they know me through the computer. They probably don't feel comfortable enough telling me what's going on. But um, if it's things like, you know, that I can help explain to them or break down to them, um, I always offer like to talk to them about it and just explain it all to them. And I feel like when they get an explanation about you know, maybe something like, why aren't I losing weight fast enough? It's stressing me out. Um, you know, if I ex break that all down and, you know, really explain it to them, I feel like it relieves a lot of them because the next few times they check in, see that reoccurring stressor coming back. So if it's something I can sit and explain to them, um, then you, I'll take all the time in the world. I'll write the longest email. I'll do whatever I have to do just to get that point across to them just so that they can learn to because i feel like a lot of um a lot of coaches and stuff you know sometimes don't take the time to explain stuff and uh i, I feel like a big portion of my clientele appreciates that i take the time to do that for them and i think it's cool too just because if i explain that to them you know their first cousin twice removed is gonna say bothering me and they're gonna say hey well this is why it's bothering you like this is why you're not losing weight as fast as your friend is or whatever but it all came back from me explaining it to them the first time so i feel like that trickles down um you know the grapevine and ends up helping other people without even directly working with me so that's why i really like to explain stuff if i can um you know as far as like things i can't control um I try to just tell them, like, you know, if there's someone in your life that you want to talk to about these things, reach out to them. Um, you know, if you're looking at things like, uh, you know, possibly even therapy or somebody you want to talk to, like a professional or something, like, don't be hesitant to reach out. Uh, you know, I think people are embarrassed to go that route. But, um, you know, I try to explain it in a way that it's not embarrassing. This is what's going to help you. Um, later in life or down the road right now, whatever it is. 
uh, just to reach out for help if, if you're not comfortable talking to me about it or anyone in your family about it. Yeah, that's a good point. Definitely reaching out, not being scared to reach out. And the, the, the analogy that I give my clients is like, when a pipe breaks in your house, do you just try and fix it no matter, like, do you just keep going? When your car breaks down and you know nothing about cars, you just kind of keep fixing it. Are you embarrassed? Do you feel embarrassed when you go to the auto body shop because you don't know how to fix your car? You're dealing with a situation in your life, this amount of stress, whatever the cause of that stress is in your life, you're not someone who is qualified to kind of talk yourself or walk yourself through it. So why would you even be embarrassed to bring in a, a professional? That's a, that's a really quality point. Um, all right, so for the next question, I'm gonna let Jess break down the practical side of things, and then I'm gonna let Dom come in and be super sciencey here. So the next one is, how much do you believe stress plays a role in someone's health and fitness success or failure. So you set them up with their 12-week plan. Everything's in place. It's the best plan ever written in the history of plans. My plan, so good, so much better. Um, how much does stress play a role in whether they're successful or they're successful or they fail? There we go. Got it. Got it. Um, so that kind of goes back to what I was mentioning earlier. Um, like, you'll know when you're stressed out. And like, I feel like when you start to really get in tune with your body, you'll be able to see like, depending on the symptoms that you're having, if it's coming from stress or if it's something from the plan. Um, with that, like what I mean by that is kind of how I mentioned, um, you know, for myself, and I've seen this with clients as well, is like, if I'm really stressed out, I will notice that I'm a lot more bloated. I'm retaining water. I'm, you know, fatigued a lot more. My workouts are not great. They're not terrible, but they're not great. Um, or I'm not able to lift as much as I have been. Um, what else? It was cravings. Cravings are a big one. Um, and I've noticed that with women, especially it's, it's cravings. And then it turns into on top of like the bloating and the fatigue, and then you throw in body image in there. And it's just like this constant cycle that doesn't seem to like, and, um, and then poor sleep, like you, it just, there's just these symptoms that they just kind of stick out. And I think the more you go into like the further you get in tune with your body and actually listen to what your body's telling you, you can kind of pinpoint like, Oh, I'm just really stressed right now because of these things like you just know everyone has like their own different ways or how their body responds is just different and they just know um so yeah that's what i would i would go with that i, th yeah. I think jess you're 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 just a really good person to talk to on this subject because you know all of these signs so give the people the three biggest red flags that you see for someone that you think is dealing with chronic stress levels the three biggest red flags that go up and you're like, whoa, this is a stressed out person. Um, okay. It would be inability to focus. It would be, uh, fatigue for sure. And then I would say cravings, especially for women. I don't know what it's like for guys and stuff because I usually most of my guy clients, like I've never had that issue with cravings or anything like that. So I can only speak for women and for myself. Um, it's usually cravings for like sweet things. The guys just don't tell you. Dom. Yeah, that's that, probably that, what it is. See that corner back there where the fan is in Dom's room? 
that's where he sits in the corner and cries and eats French onion soup when he's really stressed out. So, Dom, take us through kind of the hormonal cascade that associates these high stress situations and what ramifications, what negative ramifications that can have on a person's body, health markers, et cetera. Yeah, like, um, I mean, we've all heard of like cortisol and that being like the stress hormone. Um, and, you know, when someone's undergoing a, a high stress, you know, both physical and mental can increase cortisol levels. And, um, you know, Jess just talked about cravings. And one of the things linked to higher cortisol levels is um, increased blood sugar, increased uh, increased uh, cravings for sweet things and things like that. So, you know, without even talking about the science stuff about it, she noticed that just from stressed clients want like craving these foods and things like that. Um, and I know like uh, cortisol itself, um, I don't want to get too deep, but uh, cortisol itself like increases um, adipose tissue, like fat tissue um, by not allowing it to break down. So we hang on to it more. If we're running higher blood sugars, we're most likely going to be increasing adipose storage. Um, I, cortisol also plays a role in insulin. So if we're running higher insulin levels, we're also subsequent, you know, to increase fat tissue. So cortisol has, uh, has a bad rap uh, when it comes to stress and the losing fat. Um, but cortisol just doesn't only come from mental stress. You know, if there's way too much physical stress going on, you're going to have a big inflammation response. Cortisol is probably going to come up and you'll see like retention of water and things like that. So, um, you know, also in your muscle, cortisol will uh, will decrease amino acid uptake. So you'll see things like cortisol could potentially be playing a role in slowing down um, like muscle nutrient uptake. Um, it could also it also uh, promotes glucose secretion from the liver, so more blood glucose in our in our in our uh, blood more glucose in our bloodstream. Um, again, just adding into possibly higher blood pressure. Um, again, adding to adipose tissue, and that's why I always tell people when you're stressed and your cortisol goes up, if it gets too high. It's going to just make it an uphill battle trying to lose fat at this point. Um, you know, there's there's research that shows like some adaptogens like help with things like ashwagandha um, is one of them. Rodelia is one. I probably said that wrong, but Rodelia is one of them, too, that help your body control the amount of cortisol it releases under these stress situations so that you don't have this constant uphill battle with uh, with like fat loss and things like that. Um, but yeah, you know, you'll see fatigue, like, uh, like Jess said, you'll see irritability. You'll see a lot of things that come from, you know, cortisol, your quote unquote stress hormone. So uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, you know, when I, when a client, when a client is having trouble losing weight, I look for, if it's a woman, I look for three blood markers. It's cortisol, estrogen to progesterone ratio, and uh, their thyroid uh, in total. Um, 
and most of the time their cortisol comes back high and they wonder why and i that's when we have to break down their day-to-day you know are you stressed about what you do every day are you stressed about work are you stressed about your kids job money you know I, i think people have a lot of subconscious stress that they don't even realize they're stressing about so something that piqued my interest that you said, you said that cortisol has somewhat of a negative rap, like it has a negative reputation. And I think that's somewhat true. Can you go into maybe a little bit about acute cortisol elevation versus chronic cortisol elevation? So short time frame versus protracted long time frame, hours versus weeks, months, years? Yeah, like cortisol in, in an acute situation can actually benefit us, um, you know, it can it can help with things like, uh, you know, maybe in an acute situation, increasing blood sugar might at that moment actually help the person. Uh, it also helps with like, uh, you know, cortisol is a glucocorticoid, so it can help with inflammation control in an acute situation. Now, when you take that and bring it into the very long term, that's when cortisol gets its bad reputation. And most of the time when people talk about cortisol, they talk about cortisol in this really, you know, long, chronic, six plus month issue that that person is having. But that's why I, I always tell people cortisol is not always the enemy. It has its benefits in small windows of opportunity. Let me let me devil's advocate here for a second. All things held constant. So calorie intake, calorie expenditure, activity training quality, sleep, all of that, an individual who has higher cortisol levels will lose less or more than someone who's doing the exact same. So let's just say you cloned a person. One person has high cortisol levels, but every single thing else that they do is the exact same. The other person has low cortisol levels, everything the exact same. Are these individuals going to lose the same amount of weight or is the high cortisol person going to struggle? (laughs) <laughs> you're really playing devil's advocate <laughs> i am uh i i can't i can't see it being a substantial difference i could see them both making progress um especially when everything is the same and just cortisol is the issue um i can't see maybe the person with higher cortisol might run like higher blood pressure but when you're coming down to calories and actual progress i could see them making steady changes maybe just slightly different with variation that would be a very inconclusive study if we ran that (laughs) um i mean late at night you don't know what i'm doing in my basement so let's just say i might have already run that experiment and i know the answer so I, and the reason that What's I asked the, answer? That, the reason that I create this insane hypothetical that could never exist in the real world is that I think we hear people say a lot, I can't lose weight because of cortisol. And that statement in and of itself, just at face value is false. It's not just that stress hormone that's causing you to you know, plateau or stagnate in your weight loss journey, it's everything that comes with it. It's all the stuff yeah. that Jess mentioned. It's the fatigue, it's the lack of sleep, it's the cravings. And then some of the stuff that Dom talked about, the increase in adipose tissue, the increase in blood sugar, elevated blood pressure, all of that kind of stuff that comes with it. So that's why I play devil's advocate. It's one of my pet peeves when people are like, oh, I can't lose weight because of cortisol. I just wanna 
shake you. I'd have to look back, but um, especially in women, I think stress and cortisol can play a role in hormone development. Um, I'd have to look back and see, because I'm pretty sure I read something that talked about it um, with like estrogen metabolism in the liver in a stress state for a woman. So uh, it's not as optimal. So like they end up being a little bit more estrogen dominant and might see like, you know, that that harder weight loss, that harder just because they might not test high on estrogen on paper, but the ratio between progesterone and estrogen is in the higher range. I'd have to look back, though. I'd have to dig that one up. I think I've seen a similar claim in men that says that men who run higher cortisol levels run lower testosterone levels. But I'm not sure where that comes from. If it's maybe it's on the literature and overtraining where that cortisol to testosterone ratio starts to get skewed. Again, not 100% sure. I'd have to look that up as well. Um, but we are coming up on our hour mark here. And I wanted to give uh, Jess a chance to play us out. Um, Jess, leave the people because everyone wants a takeaway here. The takeaway here is going to be like three, two, five, seven, however many pieces of actionable advice you want to give them, stuff that they can start to implement today in their life to improve their stress levels or maybe their ability to tolerate stress. Because like you said, stress is unavoidable. Um, yeah, so two things that are actionable would be one, uh, take time for yourself every day, even if it's two minutes to be able to just sit. Treat yourself. There we go. Exactly. That's one way to look at it. Um, just sit with yourself. If you feel like journaling, great. Journal it out. But just take a moment to sit with your thoughts, sit with how you're feeling, um, what's going on in your life. Um, and just be aware. I think if you, you sit with yourself once a day, again, even if it's just for a few minutes, you kind of over time start to build more awareness of like yourself. So self-awareness. And you start to kind of get in tune with how you're feeling, why you're feeling that way, what's going on. Um, and I think that's a big help. My second um, piece of advice would be to get help if you need it. I know Dom kind of talked about this with his clients that they're not comfortable with going to the coach, then go reach out to a friend or a family member or get a therapist, like whatever you need um, to kind of work through whatever you have going on. Because at the end of the day, we're all going through shit and not everyone wants to open up and talk about it. You know, some people might be embarrassed. So they're just not comfortable with that. And that's totally cool. Um, so if it's not reaching out and getting help through a coach, reach out and get help through a friend, um, someone that you trust or reach out and get help from, you know, an actual, like a professional, like a therapist. Um, so those would be my two actionable pieces of advice. My third thing, and I just tell this to anyone, um, is be kind to yourself on the journey, no matter what the journey is, just be gentle with yourself and know that we're all human and we're all here trying to be the best versions of ourselves at the end of the day we're just doing the best that we can and it's not perfect but as long as it's truthful and you're honest with yourself and you're honest with those around you then that's that's what it's all about so just be kind to yourself 
it's time that I open up. It's time that I'm honest with you guys. Jess, I need to come forward. All right. I'm suffering from feelings of inadequacy because I've got two just such powerhouse co-hosts. And I feel a little bit inadequate in my ability to speak on this podcast. Do you think that you could help me? Actually, do you think that you could just tone down the level of awesomeness so that I can shine? As the host, if I'm not shining, I, I don't sleep at night. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ryan. I appreciate that. I feel better already. Dom, anything oh, okay. you wanted to circle back to or mention? Any pieces of advice? Um, I'll talk on things like... Uh... The biggest thing with me is the food relationship thing that I try to help everybody with. Um, you know, if you fall off plan or off your macros or whatever it is, just get right back into it. Um, don't beat yourself up about it. You know, days like that happen. It's just a matter of you just coming back the next day and just knocking it out of the park. And that's how you're going to build that slow relationship with food. Um, I always tell people too. You know, you want to enjoy memories with people that you might not ever have again. Um, you know, you know, God forbid Christmas you might not have with your grandparent this next year. You know, you don't know those things. You know, you don't want to look back at that time and say, well, I was irritable that whole time I was there because I was dieting and I couldn't eat anything. And No, just take it. Relax. Take the take the day. Enjoy the time some of those memories you're never going to have again so um and then the next day you just start again so that's that's how you build that really healthy relationship with food that's in my opinion um i don't have a you know uh my master's was in exercise physiology it wasn't in psychology or anything like that but i just feel like with the amount of people i've worked with and whatnot i've seen that that is one thing they all really appreciate and now they can differentiate between the two. They know when they're just straight up cheating for no reason, and they know when they're enjoying a good time that, you know, they just saw their friend that they haven't seen in five years. Like, just, they know the difference between the two now after some time. That's a good point. Very good point. And a nice point to end on. Guys, thanks for coming out. Thanks for watching. You guys can find, actually, no, wait, I got to plug the Instagrams, guys. It's not done yet. Dom, where can people find you? At Team Kuza. You already know. <laughs> Jess? Uh, there you go, Dom. Show it off. Um, yeah, you can find me at Jesse period Lee with three E's, not two, three. Three E's. Two E's is, we don't know her, but she seems like a very lovely woman of what appears to be Asian descent. I think she's a food blogger. The picture of yep. the cake, the imposter, Jesse Lee, if you're listening to this, I'm going to DM this video to her. You got a shout out on this. That piece of cake looked delicious, looked amazing. Send a piece my way. I am at the underscore squad father, often imitated, never duplicated. You can find all of us at Gifted Performance. Sign up for one-on-one -on -one coaching, automated coaching, training templates. We do it all, and we do it better than everybody else. We will see you on the next one, and as always, stay gifted.